This is The Ed Milet Show. All right, guess what I'm wearing right now? Tommy John underwear. And I don't share that with everybody, just my friends. And so it's the best underwear of all time. And I don't just say that. Like, they sent me my first pair about eight months ago. And now from their undershirts to everything, it's what I wear all the time, especially with it being hot outside right now for the summer. Get yourself some cool cotton fabric, two to three times cooler, underwear, shirts, the whole deal from Tommy John. If you try them, you're never going to go back. They don't have any customers, man. They have fanatics, and I have become one of them. Hundreds of thousands of them, by the way. 13 years of them, tens of thousands of five-star reviews. It's the most comfortable underwear ever in the history of planet Earth. And I'm just going to tell you, especially when it's hot out right now, I love wearing this because it keeps me cool. So 15 million pairs sold, by the way. So enough said on that. Go get some. Right now, get 20% off your first order at TommyJohn.com slash mylet. TommyJohn.com slash mylet for 20% off. That's M-Y-L-E-T-T. Last time, TommyJohn.com slash mylet. See the site for details. All right, let's get into this awesome, awesome, life-changing show for me, and I know it will be for you. All right, welcome back to the show, everybody. My guest today is an eight-time Emmy Award winner. And you probably best know him from Dateline or Catch a Predator, but he's the first guest I've ever had on my show where I'm glad to be introducing him to all of you and not having him introducing himself to me. Because the last thing you want to hear if you're in someone's living room or kitchen is, hi, I'm Chris Hansen, grab a seat. So I'm super glad that I'm the one introducing him. And he's got a podcast out right now called Predators I've Caught. I'm super fascinated by this man. It's kind of a giveaway as to who it is. So Chris Hansen, welcome to the show. And thank you very much. I suppose you're going to tell me to have a seat for this, right? <laughs> that's, that's exactly <laughs> what we're doing. And I'm fascinated by you, Chris, uh, the work you've done, your life. Um, you've really had a unique seat, so to speak, and a viewpoint in the world that's um, really unique only to you. I'm curious to begin with, because now everybody, they're recognizing that voice. And if they're watching this, they recognize the face. And uh, I'm curious, when you started to do Catch a Predator and the Dateline work, what did what, what preparation did you have? In other words, were you qualified? Did you feel qualified to sit behind the scenes and then walk into someone's living room and have that conversation with somebody? Did you have preparation to do that? Well, nothing from a therapist standpoint or any experience in law enforcement, except had to, you know, have done investigative reporting for, you know, several years running up to that, both at NBC and in local news beforehand. But nothing can prepare you for that very first to catch a predator episode. You know, I, when I pitched it to Dateline, it was never meant to be a continuing series. It was meant to be, you know, one-off story for Dateline. Um, exposing men who go online to sexually assault children. And, and we had become aware of Perverted Justice, the online watchdog group, which at that time would put decoys into chat rooms. And if they got hit on and there was a solicitation by a, an adult, they would merely post that person's identity on their website and occasionally cooperate with law enforcement to, to help uh, in a prosecution. I thought once I became aware of perverted justice, that it could be very compelling if we could combine and collaborate with their ability to, you know, be decoys online with our ability to wire a house with hidden cameras and microphones, I thought it would be eye-opening. And, and I did doubt, though, whether or not uh, we'd see people show up. I mean, I was driving out to the first thing location, and I thought, man, 
what if I just wasted tens of thousands of dollars of the network's money? And with that, my producer called and said, hey, where the hell are you? We've got two guys scheduled to show up in 45 minutes. And oh, in that first investigation in Beth Page, Long Island, Ed, we had 17 guys surface over two and a half days, including a New York City firefighter. So, you know, was that a one-time only event? I didn't know at the time. But uh, you, your heart's in your throat because you really don't know what you're dealing with. We had security, but we weren't working with law enforcement in that particular investigation. Law enforcement came in later and made a prosecution or two in that case. But, you know, we were testing this out and, and you know, kind of um, learning as we went along. But no, there was no preparation for it other than that, you know, I had done obviously a number of spontaneous interviews in the past. I had the transcripts. I prepared as best as I could. But, you know, it's live. You are going inside the commission of a felony and showing people that crime as it is actually committed. And it was eye-opening, even for me, who had been, you know, at that point around the world doing investigative reporting. Yeah. The reason I ask is that, you know, people listen to this show, they're stepping into different spaces in their life. And I think everyone's like, you have to be completely prepared. There's really no such thing. And you step into this space that really no one had stepped into before. You sort of created a space the way that you did it. And it was, it was riveting. I mean, I, there's, there's not a person who listens to my show or is watching this who's not familiar with you. I mean, it's became that big of a deal. And I, it's, I used to watch it and think, I don't know if it ever occurred to you, like, well, that guy could be walking by me in the grocery store. You would never know. And that's why I wanted to have you on today, everybody. What today's show is really going to be about is obviously some insights into that show and the, the but also lots of other things about predatory behavior. I want to talk about protecting our children, protecting yourselves if you're single and you're dating, the social media piece of it. But then even offside all of that, how do you know if someone's got ill will towards you? Is there a profile? Someone's predatory with you financially, just antagonistic towards you. So we're going to go all down that road. If you're wondering why Chris is sitting in that seat today, because I think he's the most qualified person on the planet to do it. I'm curious first, Chris, when you meet these guys, you walk in there, did anything strike you about their humanity? In other words, were they otherwise on the surface normal people? Or as you would sit there for 20, 30, 40 minutes, eventually, were there things about them other than the obviously the underlying perverted predatory behavior that would give you a clue into who they were that was different? You know, they come from different categories, Ed. So you may have a guy who walks in who's a doctor or a teacher or somebody even in law enforcement. In a recent investigation, just uh, a matter of months ago in Michigan, we had a, a prison guard, a Michigan state corrections officer, walk in to try to have sex with a, a 14-year-old girl. You know, we're doing these investigations again now, 17 years later, and guys are still showing up. So they come from different categories. You see the legit guy you could be standing next to at the dry cleaners on a Saturday morning or standing next to you in, on public transportation here in the New York subway. And then there are obviously guys who, you know, could have the word predator tattooed across the forehead. They, they look janky. You know, they, they look like a guy who's looking for trouble. So it's 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 a combination of things. But I think if you're if you're looking for, you know, that common denominator, it's really, really hard to tell on the surface. If you go beneath the surface, you know, and you see things, there are definitely warning signs. But, you know, when you and I were kids, our parents said, don't talk to strangers. And that was good advice then and good advice today. But the problem with online grooming and the Internet has changed all of this in so many ways is that the person who's a stranger on a Wednesday is so adept at gaining the confidence of a child or 
anyone really by the end of the week that you think you know this person over the weekend. Yeah, you use the word grooming. And I, it's fascinating that you did. A few weeks ago, I had Sarah Klein on. Mm-hmm. Sarah was the one of the original, you know, she was one of the original young ladies who came forward that was a victim of Larry Nasser. Sure. Uh, for USA Gymnastics. And she used that word grooming. Now, he could groom them because he was in there doing physicals with them. But how does that work? I've got a child. Let's give some advice to parents now. You've got a child there on Instagram, let's say. How does the grooming work and what should we be looking out for? Should parents be monitoring the direct messages of their children? Do you advise that? What would your advice be if you have a child? I think it's uh, it's not a bad idea, depending on what you see and how old the child is. You, know, you need to start with an age-appropriate discussion. And I think sometimes it's as simple as, look, I'm going to trust you to have communication on the internet, to have an Instagram or Facebook or a TikTok or you know, Snapchat, but you need to know that there are adults out there who would like to trick you for a lot of different reasons. And kids don't like to be tricked. So I think it starts there. And if you can get that point across to a child, then you can start to prepare them. There is no real effective demand reduction for this crime, right? It's not a very sexy part of therapy or psychiatry or medicine. Law enforcement does the best it can to bust and and incarcerate, punish, monitor these people. But at the end of the day, it's so prolific, this crime, that your best defense is education and awareness. And that starts with an age-appropriate discussion with your kids. Hmm. How prolific is it? I just want, I mean. That's a great question. Yeah, I mean, we used to say, you know, 15, 16 years ago, when I started talking about this, there was a number that we used to quote and it was at any given time, 50,000 predators are online. Well, oh. you know, it's a, it's a hard number to come up with. And we were challenged on that. And we ourselves went back to where was, where did this come from? And it came from a speech from an attorney general that got it from the attorney general of the United States that got it from one of our stories where we interviewed somebody who was a former FBI agent. And I asked the question, would it surprise you if that were true? He said, no, it could be even higher. So there's no way of really knowing it is the honest answer, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, common sense would tell you that there are a lot of predators online because we've caught a lot of predators online, um, not just sexual predators looking to uh, assault children, but financial predators, all kinds of confidence schemes and things that go on every day. Yeah. So it's ubiquitous and we really yeah. don't know is the honest answer. Yeah. That's the thing. And I, we're going to go there in a minute, but I'm just, I, there's things I always wanted to ask you. And this is going to seem, I might even take some flack for asking you this question. But the first thing is that because of the way movies are made, you know, usually the bad guy in a movie is just a bad guy in right. every area, right? Like, but the truth is many of these people have otherwise other redemptive qualities. Absolutely. And I think that's part of it. Like, well, he's a great soccer coach or an amazing She's an amazing businesswoman or he's so good with his own children. And so then we automatically categorize that person as there's no way they could be one of those because they have other redemptive qualities. These aren't just all bad people. This is some behavior they have that's perverted or a character flaw. They may have other redemptive qualities and that that should cause us not to discount the possibility they could be doing harm. Correct. Because that's absolutely right, Ed. And, And we see this in the predator investigations. We see people who function as an oncologist, for example, at a major biotech firm on the cutting edge of curing cancer. Yet here's a guy 
who is, you know, going online by tall, dreamy doc, lying about his age, trying to meet up with a 13-year-old girl in Petaluma, California for sex after a sexually charged conversation. Here's a guy who's got daughters, uh, who's married, who has a big job, uh, an incredible education, doing some good for society, but yet in this dark corner of his life was out trolling for, for kids. And, and I think, you know, people ask, what's the profile? Well, there's, in terms of my experience, and I'm not a therapist, and I, I'm not qualified to make this judgment, but it, it, in my experience, these predators break down into three different categories. There's the heavy hitter, pedophile predator, child molester who'd be doing this with or without the internet, right? The bad little league coach, the bad scout master, the guy who's hanging out at the playground or the food court at the mall. They're going to do this. They're hardwired, whether it's because of something in their mind or because of a, a childhood experience, they're going to go after children. Then there's a younger group, right? 19, 20, 21, 22, socially inept, insecure, thinking that, well, this might be an opportunity to finally have a romantic experience. And maybe the best way to do this is to choose somebody who's emotionally at the same level I am, who happens to be 13 or 14. And if it works out in a couple of years, it's not that big of an age difference. You know, they'll be 16 soon. They look at it as a Romeo and Juliet situation. That's a guy who can be put on probation, punished, warned, and probably never offend. Then we have this much more difficult situation in the middle. I think there's a whole category of guys who may have an attraction to younger boys or girls in their teens. Um, in their genes. In their teens. Yeah. These guys are, you know, any age, any adult age, but they have an attraction to younger boy, younger kids, boys and girls. And they wouldn't act upon this without the internet, without the access to the chat rooms, to pictures, it's addictive, it's 24 seven, and it's anonymous. And they find themselves saying things online to somebody who they think is a, is a vulnerable 13, 14, 15 year old boy or girl that they wouldn't say in person. And then at some point, they blur this line between fantasy and reality. And they may know better. They may suspect it's a Chris Hansen sting operation or an FBI sting operation or any local police sheriff's department. But they do it anyway because they, they get so caught up in this, fulfilling this fantasy that they blur the line. And the next thing you know, they come knocking at our door. And that's the most difficult part, the most difficult profile to identify, to treat, to punish, and to fix in our society, I think. Well, now that is fascinating because... That sort of helps me while well, really processing the way you describe that, because that behavior manifests itself online now. It has created a space online where this transcends sexual predators. Right. And for example, in my case, people will regularly make fake accounts of Ed Milet, make them look really good, and then solicit people to buy some cryptocurrency or if I right. you send me $50 and... These are otherwise people that I, I almost think, because I've, I've actually encountered a few of these people in my last six years online, that I think they do blur this line where they forget what they're doing is illegal and hurting another human being. They almost get caught up in the process of it. And this is so prevalent online. Is there anything, do you agree with that, number one? And secondly, is there anything someone listening to this can do to protect themselves from any type of predatory behavior online? Well, I, 
number one, yes, you are right. I think that's an accurate profile of what happens online. And it is this constant blur of fantasy and reality. And because it is uh, such a vast space of potential money-making that it creates opportunity for uh, those who are trying to scam folks. And we've seen it, especially in a difficult economy. I mean, the predator always goes for the most vulnerable, Mm -hmm. right? And not always do they start out to take advantage, but once they get a sense of success or how easy it is, and it becomes financially lucrative or emotionally lucrative, they keep going until they get caught. Mm -hmm. And I suppose it's just the, the ubiquitous nature of the internet in some respects, but also, if you provide an opportunity for bad people to, to execute this sort of thing, they will do it. I mean, we've seen it in our various investigations of online predators, not the traditional kind in the, in the Hanson versus Predator or To Catch a Predator, but the Onision in Real Life series that we have now on Discovery Plus. Here's a guy who's a, a YouTube sensation, uh, he had a big following, was making millions of dollars, and ultimately crossed the line and started abusing and preying upon his young female followers. Mm -hmm. And it started a whole investigation, both civil and criminal. And, you know, we did a series exposing that. Mm -hmm. And the women, the young women who were the targets here, were vulnerable for a lot of different reasons. Some because of their emotions, some because of their their talent, their creativity. They felt a kindred spirit with this fellow who was also somewhat creative and talented. Uh, but also because they came from a home that uh, there was freedom enough for them to be approached and to be emotionally taken advantage of by a guy like this. Mm. And, you, you know, you see it among the most wealthy people, the Peter Nygaard investigation, right. same thing, you know. There you have a guy who was not only a predator, but was a money predator. And he could buy this sense of impunity that he had for 45, 50 years, he got away with thousands of sexual assaults. And finally, because of dedicated investigators, a civil lawsuit, (laughs) you know, that went on between Nygaard and a neighbor who did the right thing, good reporting by us and New York Times and Canadian Broadcasting Network, he finally got exposed. You know, but who knows without this? I mean, Epstein, without the Miami Herald staying on top of this story day after day after day, Epstein probably gets away with it. And the U.S. attorney in New York at the time essentially said that. I mean, it's, it's these guys, they have money, they have connections, they have power, and they can get away with it. And well, so this trickles down as an attitude on the Internet. Aren't they protected, some of them, by the bigger apparatus as well? I think I was reading that you wanted to do something on Epstein or had an inclination about him or some something came up and then it didn't happen. Is that right? Well, it was, you know, that's the lesson of good, dogged, reporting. And that's what uh, Julie K. Brown did at the Miami Herald. We had an opportunity, I had an opportunity to look into some of this stuff. And quite honestly, Ed, I tried to fashion a sting operation in New York. Wow. The levels of security were so guarded that we weren't able to you know, penetrate it. And so uh, I got busy with other stories, other topics, other things. And it was the Miami Herald who kept digging away day after day after day after day. And finally, got the confidence of these survivors, some of them, to identify themselves and come forward and become very effective witnesses to prosecute this case. Um, You know, so 
do I regret not pursuing it more aggressively? Yeah, of course. But I'm also glad that Julie K. Brown of the Miami Herald did. And, and um, you know, we've done stories around it. I continue to work on that, that case a bit here and there. And uh, I think we'll come up with something soon. But, so, you know, it's, um, it, it's just a lesson of reporting. You have to sometimes it's, it's old fashioned legwork and just staying on it and not going for the grand slam hidden camera investigation that, that uh, wins the day. And that's what won it for the Miami Herald. Reporting aside, as a human being, what has this work done to you? What is it? How's it made you look at human beings differently overall, if it has? I mean, you've seen a side of humanity up close in your face multiple times, really a seat that aside from maybe a few people in law enforcement have ever seen. Has it changed the way you look at someone in the grocery store? Has it changed the way you look at the goodness of humans in general? I'm curious as what it's done to you as a man. Well, it's a, it's a, it's a great question. And I think there was a time in between that it gave me kind of a dark look at society in general. And you can let yourself get caught up in that if you're not careful. And I think with time passing and, and perspective, you know, I've developed a much broader, more balanced view of the world. I think that comes with, you know, doing something for 40 years and, and reaching a certain age in life and having kids who are now adults. Uh, two of whom are in this business, you, you, you get a perspective that you didn't have at 40, that you now have at 62. And so it allows you not to be too hung up, but to have, you know, a worldview of things and to understand how my work can fit into that worldview and improve the, uh, you know, the situation and, and, and contribute to the education of people and, you know, to get into the minds of a predator or a criminal and to understand a little bit how that works and to hear the voice of the victim, you can create a, hopefully, an environment where fewer people become victims. And, and that's kind of what all my work and my reporting is about, you know, mm -hmm. it, it is creating that awareness because at the end of the day, the cops can't arrest them all. You know, we can't catch them all. So if you create this body of work that makes people pay attention just a little closer, you can prevent people from becoming victims. You know, it, it, it's like in these interviews with these guys, you know, when they get caught, anybody can jump out of the back room or from behind the bushes and create 10 seconds of dramatic video. My job is to get inside their heads, you know, to get them to talk to me. I'm not out there to beat them up. Of course, as a human being, you get, you know, agitated and angry that somebody would do this to a child, but my job is to understand it and to get them to spill their guts yeah. on camera so people can see it. You know, and that's been one of the interesting things about going back and doing the podcast now, which is I immerse myself in each one of these cases. And at the time, you know, I've got the transcripts and, you know, I've got some background and I'm able to think on my feet and deal with these interviews and unquestionably, even in this dark subject matter, there are, you know, borderline humorous things that happen. And so you have to live in those moments too, because, you know, people see it for what it is, but, um, you gotta, you know, get the truth out of these guys. Mm. And, and that's, that's the job of it all. And, and I think, you know, especially looking back, as I was saying with the, with the podcast, I mean, you, you now see the bigger picture, right? Because it may have been a time when two guys were coming in within 10 minutes of each other. Now I can sit back and watch the videos again, look at all the transcripts, see what's happened to the guy since then, know more about his background than I did when he first walked in. And we usually had a pretty good background sheet on the guys. 
and it, it gives this fuller picture. And I think in these times when kids are spending more of their days on the internet, especially during the pandemic, and when you, when you think of how many more social media platforms are out there now, it's more important than ever to have this kind of discussion, this kind of education. Remember, when we did the first To Catch a Predator 17 years ago, we merely had decoys in chat rooms and AOL and Yahoo. That was it. That's yeah, all that's we true. use. Now take a look at the, look at the landscape around you today. Oh look at what you and I use yeah. uh, as men of a certain age in the media to promote our work, to have discussions with followers and viewers and fans. It, it, it's exploded. I mean, every day there's a new social media platform that I don't know about yeah. where, you know, potentially predators can approach children online. Interesting time in our economy right now. So many of you are hiring or want to hire, but can't find great people. Why is it so difficult right now? Because there's a big demand in the marketplace for people. And oftentimes, one of the pain in the necks about hiring people is you end up interviewing people who aren't qualified or they are qualified, but they're not even ready to get started or want the job. You don't just have to hope you'll find your perfect candidate. Let Indeed help you find these people so you can execute on your businesses, get the right people on your business bus in the right seats at the right time. I'm using them exclusively now for all of my hiring. By the way, they have about four times more hires than all the other job sites combined. One of the reasons is they've got these skill tests that they can put people through so that by the time you get a candidate in front of you, you know they're qualified and you know they're ready to get started. By the way, about 3 million businesses worldwide use Indeed right now. It's a great place to do this. So get started right now. Indeed.com slash Milet. That's I-N-D-E-E-D.com, by the way. Last time, Indeed.com slash Milet. Let's get back to the show. I was just thinking about TikTok specifically. Younger profile, I got some data this week that says Instagram's got about a billion three users. I mean, imagine that number, a billion three, but that TikTok is now at a billion and will likely surpass them in the next six months. So if there are billions of people on these two platforms, and again, they're overlapping users, clearly, sure. but that means there are millions of some form of predators online, whether that's a financial predator, a sexual predator, somebody that it's not 50,000 anymore. Somebody that even if you're a, a, a woman and you're on a dating app, just a guy who's got no intention but to be physical with you, right. lie to you about his intentions. To me, that's a bit of a predator. And so it's, it's absolutely a predator. And let me take it one step further. We did a story a week or so ago on the YouTube channel, have a seat with Chris Hansen on parents who are exploiting their children online. Mm. And, you know, you, you look at these family vloggers, you know, these people who are doing stories about, you know, their families and adopting kids and rehoming the kids because they've got behavioral issues. We did a story on, on a, a case of Danielle Cohen, who's 15 years old. The mother of her is uh, Jen, um, it, it, our Shambo is, essentially pimping this girl out online, making millions and millions of dollars. A young girl who's been doing this since, you know, 11, 12, 13, all her relationships, her pregnancy, abortion, you, you know, uh, borderline child porn, and all of this makes money for the mother on their YouTube channel. Mm -hmm. Yet, when we do a story on it, even though we blur any questionable uh, video, we're not monetized because of sensitive social content, which is fine. I don't do YouTube to make money. I do. Uh, I know exactly what you mean. And I incubate, you know, stories for, for television. But yeah. so 
yet they're out there doing the exploitation and making the money. That's crazy. So you, yeah. you make sense of that. Well, that is nonsensical, and I relate very deeply to what you're saying there. I'm curious, uh, a lot of people are dating. The main place people meet now is online. So it's, sure. it used to be at a bar, a nightclub, or church, or the old-fashioned way. <laughs> right? It's just it's like, and I've had great dating experts on my show. And so, man or woman. So I'm meeting a guy who's in my DMs, right? He's in my DMs on Instagram, or I'm meeting a guy who's, uh, I'm on one of these, I don't know the names of them anymore. I'm on Tinder, whatever it is. Right. I don't know, right? <laughs> Tells you how old I am and how long I've been married, but, um, but you're on these apps. And so you're gonna meet, you wanna meet people that way. What, I, there's gotta be some advice you give to somebody. Is it like, hey, meet in a public place, look for, I'm well, show you. Yeah, all of it, I mean, all of that. You I mean, you just, you have to just be wary. I mean, obviously, if you're an adult and you're on um, one of the dating apps, a lot of people meet and have healthy relationships because of that. You know, Tinder and Grinder are set up for different, different, you know, sort of hookups. But you know, the the, the traditional dating apps result in healthy, wonderful, long-term relationships. But you just have to know that there are people who will try to exploit that and exploit your good nature. And so, yeah, all the common sense things apply, which is take your time, meet for coffee in a public space. Don't put yourself in a situation where somebody can drop a roofie in your drink. Um, make sure you've got your own way there and own way home. And it's not a bad idea to make sure you tell a friend what you're up to. It's no different than selling a television on Craigslist or on Facebook, meet in a public place, you know, and preferably next to a police station. I mean, don't set yourself up to become a victim. And it, it's a little, you know, trickier with adults who meet each other online. And I, I listen, I know people who met their spouses on traditional dating apps. It's, it's not unusual. So um, I think it's funny that I named the hookup app. <laughs> what? Yeah. I don't know what, the what does that say about you, Ed? <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know. Really no judgment cool there are there are profiles on there from time to time. Someone will screenshot and say, "Is this you?" It's, yes, that's definitely my picture. But my name is not Joe Mendoza. Yeah, and I don't live in Sarasota, Florida. So yeah. even there's that sort of thing. Too, right. You know, all the fraud online blows my mind. It just blows my mind. Well, and we saw. But, you know, years ago, we did a piece on, uh, you know, some of the uh, financial scams online. And, and, you know, there's an intersection between the financial scams and the sweetheart swindle. You've got these people who think they've met somebody online who's cute and, you know, has a lovely picture in front of some flowers. And, and it's actually somebody in West Africa who's yeah. running a scam. And suddenly they're accepting packages and they're reshipping these things. And, and, you know, this is a single woman in Georgia who's got five kids, who's alone and, and, and is vulnerable, you know, and, and likes the, the companionship online and will do this thinking that she's getting involved in a business venture with somebody who might also be a romantic. Um, yeah. what, what you're describing there, everybody, what Chris is describing, I know because I'm in the financial space. And so I, that is much more prevalent than you would think what he just described. Of people that are a little bit more advanced in age, having what they think is a romantic encounter with someone who does not exist that is in some other country who then that person slowly grooms them 
to use Chris's term earlier, to the point where they just begin to bleed them financially. And people yeah. have lost their entire life savings this way, slowly but surely. And it, you think there's just no way it's nonsensical. This grooming, this connection, this blurring that he described the predator uses also happens to the prey. The blurring starts to happen to the person being preyed upon. That's actually right. And, and then they don't want to believe that it's really a scam because to accept that means they're not going to see this $250,000 that they invested with this person back. So the, the Stockholm syndrome clicks in because they don't want to believe they've been the victim of a confidence scheme. And so then they become very difficult victims uh, for law enforcement. They don't want to come forward. There's a sense of embarrassment and they're tricky cases to prosecute. We once at NBC, we convinced our bosses to give us a year and more producers than usually are given to a project uh, to out the Nigerian scammers. And it was, it was a hell of an effort. I mean, I had three or four producers. And usually when you do a story, you have a producer and an associate producer. I had three or four producers rotating in and out constantly trying to get these guys to come out of the out of the you know the back rooms and out of wherever to put together a sting operation where I could confront them. And we did it, but it was it was, I'm telling you, we were at this for a good nine months to a year before we could really smoke these guys out. And we had a field day with them. I mean it was a great, great story, but you know, it was expensive, it was aggressive, it was, you know, somewhat dangerous, I suppose. But we traveled, you know, throughout Europe and went to West Africa and you don't get a chance to do that very often. And because, you know, it was a great story. Uh, it became iconic, but it's one story that cost hundreds of thousands of dollars and you know, many months and, 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 and a lot of manpower to do it. But that's how difficult it is. Now imagine, you know, a mid-sized police department, yes. that's not going to happen. Not gonna happen. Right? And that's why these guys get away with it. I mean, I'm convinced that there's a poster of me in virtually every internet, uh, cafe in Lagos, Nigeria, and in Benin, West Africa, uh, with you know, saying don't talk to anybody who looks and sounds like this. But um, it's true, because we we did. How do you think your work, Chris? Just as along those lines, how do you think your work has changed the way, if at all, the way the predator operates? Has your work caused this sort of culture of predatory behavior to alter the way they operate, be, literally because of you and the, the sort of dynamic that was set up by the way you did the show? And well, I, I, I think uh, I, I would like to think that it's a deterrence, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I honestly thought we'd do three, maybe four predator investigations. And I honestly thought that we would not see guys show up, that we'd, you know, I'd be taking a nap on the kitchen counter like the Maytag repairman with nothing to do. And that's not the case. I mean, again, 17 years later in Michigan, guys are showing up. Now we've changed what we do. We had a COVID protocol. We did a lot of things differently, but uh, they're still out there. And guys still walk in and say, oh, you're Chris Hansen. And guys still walk in and don't know who I am. And I don't know whether to be, you know, offended by that or, <laughs> or flattered, but, but uh, it's, it's not a problem that's going away anytime soon. And, and people always ask why that is, you know, and I think, I think it's just the nature of the issue. And I think for some people, it's an illness. For some people, it's a weakness. For some people, it's just a, it's a, it's a predator mindset. Mm -hmm. But 
it also is not a practice of medicine. If you look at it as a psychiatric illness, for instance, and some of it is, if you go to medical school and you graduate and you have the choice of becoming a plastic surgeon in Beverly Hills, California, Bloomfield Hills, Michigan, or, or Park Avenue, New York, and make millions of dollars, or what about this? I can study sexual predators and work for the U.S. Marshals and spend my days in, in federal penitentiaries interviewing um, hardcore predators. What, what choice? Now, thank God there are people who do that. You know, right. And I've interviewed them, and they're wonderful, smart, dedicated human beings who devoted their life to this particular practice of medicine. But you can understand why somebody wouldn't want to do that. Any of you carrying any debt? If you are, I can relate to it. And I can also relate to the emotions that sometimes come with carrying debt. I always wondered, is there any solution? Well, there is one possibly, which is Upstart. I really think you should look at these guys. If you're in some debt, it's worth it. You can go to their website, basically in five minutes, you'll know. So Upstart is a fast and easy way to pay your debt with a personal online loan, whether it's credit cards, high interest debt, personal expenses even, if you just need personal expenses, you can get one fixed monthly payment. The good thing is this, they look at more than just your credit score. They look at a whole bunch of other characteristics as well. Five minute online rate check. You can see your rate up front from loans between a thousand bucks all the way up to $50,000. And you can get funds within about one business day oftentimes. So it's worth looking at, it's worth exploring. Find out how Upstart can lower your monthly payments today when you go to upstart.com slash mylet. That's upstart.com slash mylet. And don't forget to use our URL so they know that we sent you there. Loan amounts will be determined based on your credit income and certain other information provided in your loan application. Go to upstart.com slash mylet. Let's get back at it. Yeah, well, I also think part of it is the rush. I feel like sometimes people's lives are so monotonous and unexciting and they're not chasing a dream. Their idle time for human beings can be a really dangerous thing. And I, oh, I agree. Sometimes it's, I just, do you? Yeah, I just wonder if sometimes it's just. I'm I, sure, and in, in, in I can't empirically prove this, but I'm positive that there are cases where somebody said, well, let me just take a look at this chat room. Let me just see what's there. Uh, there's a you know young guy or young gal. And, and what happens if I did have a chat? What happens if I did propose yep. this idea? And again, they're not talking face to face. So they, they, they get on this slippery slope where they start saying stuff they wouldn't say face to face. And the internet has changed our whole culture and the way humans communicate. I mean, you know, we're, I tell the story to, to my kid. I said, when I was in college, nobody had cell phones. Nobody even had pagers when I was in college. We had to leave notes on doors in dormitories. And then people had to write things down on little pink pieces of paper, yellow pieces of paper, and you have to read them. And then you'd have to go to Dooley's Bar. And if you weren't there, then it must be at the Alley I or it must be something like that. You had to find somebody, yeah. you know, and we always found the other people. We always did. We always found who we were looking for. But nobody just, you know, texted each other and said, you know, we're going to do this, we're going to do that, or here's where we're going to be. Or, you know, I, kids use Tinder today just to figure out where um, the other kids are going to be to either be there or avoid them. I mean, it's it's a whole different world now. I have a big theory that attention is something that drives humans. And in an odd way, I think the predator and the prey share this need. In other words, the prey this child or this person is just seeking some form of attention they're not getting somewhere else. Maybe they don't have a father in the home. Maybe there's, and I'm not trying to distill down. Very no, no. But I think, I think again, it all goes back to a vulnerability. Yep. And I think a lot of predators have a, a deep sense of, of, of 
where that vulnerability is and they can prey on it. I mean, if you look at all the, the victims, there's a vulnerability. That doesn't mean that it's okay to make them a victim. It just means that a predator can often sense that and move in. I mean, it's the old story. Why do you rob the banks? It's where the money's at, you know, criminals yeah. figure that out, you know? Yeah. Did you ever find yourself, I, this is the hard question that I wanted to always ask you. I'm aiming you a little flag for it. I was going to ask it earlier. It's just coming out now. So did you ever find yourself when you're in that kitchen or that living room and this guy's jabbering on and on and he seems remorseful and he's teary eyed and I'm a father and I can't believe I did this and I'm an idiot. And did you ever find yourself feeling, this is a tough question. Did you ever feel any empathy for the predator? Yeah. Yeah. A couple of times uh, specifically, I remember one and I had conversations about this with uh, some other colleagues there was a fellow who came into Georgia, a house sting operation we had set up there, and he was an Iraqi vet. And he came in and I walked out and I don't know that he had figured out it was me or what was going on. He probably thought I was a cop, but he immediately got down on his knees and put his hands behind his back in the prisoner of war position, mm -hmm. as if he had been caught by you know Iraqi forces. And he was compliant and he answered all the questions. He was apologetic. He had, you know, reasoning for all this. He had PTSD. None of that, however, forgives the fact that he was very likely going to sexually assault a child and alter that child's life forever. Now, did I feel bad for the guy because he served our country? Because um, he was having issues perhaps due to that? Yes. Does that make it okay? Is that does that excuse what he was about to do? No, but it was a a moment of emotional torture for me to you know figure out okay had this guy decided not to go online today or had he decided to go you know get his tires rotated as opposed to show up here you know he wouldn't be facing this mm. and maybe he would have never acted on this impulse. I don't know, I, you, but you can't, you can ask yourself those questions and you can have these emotional and intellectual uh, wrestling matches with yourself. And, and that's healthy because it makes you, makes you think and it makes you better at what you do for a living, but you can't torture yourself forever over it. Mm -hmm. You know, ultimately you have to realize that this was what I chose to do. We did it with integrity and intelligence and some balance to it. And this was the product, you know, and I think it seemed, it seemed generally, like generally speaking, I mean, I, look, we'll always take heat in certain corners of the journalistic community for being sensational exploitive. or working too close with the police or whatever. But I, you know, look, I, I you know, I, I long ago got over that criticism. I long ago realized that by following the path of doing this kind of reporting, I was going to eliminate some more traditional opportunities, right? And I have this conversation, my second son is a, is a reporter on television. And I said, look, did this make perhaps 60 minutes off the, off the platter? Maybe, but this is what I chose to do. I'm comfortable with the legacy that I'm creating. And I think as a whole, you know, I was more cutting edge than worried about uh, being more traditional, 
and, and, and it's no use analyzing it to death because I already did it. You know, I mean, I, I joke, I joke with people all the time. You know, my two oldest kids went to a, you know, a, a private school in Connecticut and having a father on television wasn't a big deal because they went to school with kids whose dads were captains of industry and mm-hmm. sports and all kinds of things. And, and it wasn't until South Park did a Chris Hansen to catch a predator parody that suddenly I was the coolest dad. <laughs> now you're a big deal. Yeah, I was on South Park, you know. So, so or- but that, it is what it is. And I, I tell, you know, my sons this all the time. I said, look, you know, I'm not saying that you have to go do what I did or do it the way I did it, but, you know, realize that you're, you know, as you charge your path, there are consequences to it and, and you have to be comfortable with those decisions, even though, you know, sometimes they're made for you. Yeah. But you know, Chris, here's the truth. Human, we've all make mistakes. Are like you've made mistakes in your personal life. We, everybody has those mistakes happen, but sure. the truth is it's very rare in, uh, in your industry and in your work that the actual work, I mean, it's sincerely probably saved lives. I'd like to think so, but you know, I, I mean, it would have been saved one and we know it's more than that. And right? It's, but, and it's, then it's worth it. And, you know, it, and, and to me, Again, it's it's a dialogue and awareness that didn't exist before. That's right. And, and if part of that is due to a cartoon show, well, so be it. So you know, it, it, at least it's an intelligent, biting, cutting edge, well written cartoon show. You, you, by the way, had the temperament to do this. There are other guys that are investigative reporters or journalists on television that their temperament could have change the tone and the environment when that walkout happened. There's something to your presence. And by the way, this is just something for everybody to learn in communication too. There was something to the way that your presence, your energy was brought into the room that created an environment that was dynamic between you and this predator that, and everyone should be conscious of their energy and how they walk into a space. You don't walk into every room the same way. You walked into that room that way. I'm curious, take us into it for a minute. What are you feeling when you're coming around that corner? And what are you feeling typically from the person who you lock eyes with? What is that? That has got it. That is a moment that 99.99999% of all human beings will never experience in their life, which you've experienced multiple times. Is it the same every time for you and the other person? No, it's, it's different happening? every time. It's different every time because, you know, each individuals there obviously there are some similarities right some guys are going to have the same excuse and you're prepared for it and you've thought about it since the last guy gave you that excuse so you have a really good comeback for that right mm-hmm. too bad for that guy because I'm, I'm really ready for him and i'll have his lunch but generally it's the rule that i have for every interview which is to be a good listener and to not be afraid of dead air you know mike wallace was a great teacher of that in a spontaneous controversial interview. And that is, you know, sometimes you got to go for it and get it while you have the opportunity. But at the same time, if you've got that person in a controlled environment, there's nothing wrong with asking a simple question like explain and letting them hang there on the hook until they say something. And I can't tell you how many times I've been in, in a situation, especially in the predator cases where I thought it was over I thought the guy was never going to give it up. And I kept at it and kept at it and kept at it. And finally said, you know, just explain to me what was going on in your mind. Mm-hmm. And finally you see the switch go. And the guy says, well, you know, 
it started here. I was this age and I kept getting older and the kids kept the same age or getting younger. And, and they, they give you some sense of what happened. Now it might be all at the end of the day and a big excuse, but at least you have some sense of what this guy is about and how they got there, you know? Do you think that uh, a couple more things I'm fascinated by? I mean, this is like, for me, this is a conversation many years in the making of wanting to ask these questions. I know it is for my audience too. Do you think that uh, forecast a little bit, you're in, you've been in this space a while. Is there a future that you see coming where predatory type people change their behavior? Is there another venue or forum other than just online? Um, is anything you see that we should be looking out for that's sort of the next level, right? As you've said, we didn't have text and phone back in the day. Now we've got Instagram and TikTok and dating apps. Is there anything on the well, horizon? I, I think, I think whatever the next thing is, people will try to exploit it, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, another level of communication, you know, another level of internet connectivity. Um, you know, we see it with the, um, interactive video games, you know, that's another thing people think, well, the kid's safe playing a video game. Well, they don't know who's on the other end of that. Maybe you say they're, Good you point. know, Sam Johnstone from wherever, but you don't know who that really is, you know? So I think, I think it's really, it's, it's the same predatory behavior taken to the next level and exploiting whatever technology is available. I mean, in the old days, you know, you could sell the same tractor six times at the bus station, you know, to the yeah. same guy looking to buy a tractor. It, you can get away with it about, you know, seven times before the sheriff would figure out what you're up to. Mm. And today, you know, it's just, all you need is a picture of the tractor. And, uh, you know, people sell stuff multiple times, you know, all the time online. So you gotta I be think, careful. I, I was gonna just add to what you're saying that, you know, I'm a, I'm a target for certain people just because of, you know, net worth or whatever, or reach. and. Um, I just want to share with the audience that when someone, someone doesn't usually come right directly at me with their uh, thing they'd like to get from me, it trickles over time. And it can seem like a very normal relationship in the beginning, even for an extended period of time. But what I didn't know was in the back of their mind, they were waiting for that moment where I was the most comfortable, I was the most vulnerable, I was the yeah. most trusting. We are, all, we are being groomed by people for different things other than just what Chris is experiencing or uh, experienced. So that's true, isn't it, Chris? There's a grooming that someone's, someone who's trying yeah. to get something from you. I mean, I, I've seen it, up. you know, I've seen it in, in my life. I mean, you know, I, I said to people, I said, do you, do, you, do, you, do you really think that I'm the guy you want to try and con? How do you think that's going to possibly go? And mostly it's people, you know, make up a story, but it's happened a couple of times where, you know, somebody's, I've caught somebody trying to take advantage or an online scam or, you know, uh, the typical phone calls you get when you know it's, it's, it's uh, somebody trying to get money from you for some nefarious reason. And, and you know, that you can tell because they'll say Kristoff or, you know, be half the name that doesn't fit on their, on their readout sheet. And, and no, put an ER on that and, and, <laughs> or take the off off that. And does that name sound at all familiar to you? Chris oh my God, sorry to bother you. <laughs> they picked the worst dude. Yeah. In the could you, you, could you, could you pick a worse human being <laughs> on this day? <laughs> I, my last question, I'm curious, sure. I redemption, but I just, I think I've always in my mind thought when it came to, sexual predators 
physical predators, physical abusers. I've just sort of always, that's been a category that I went, nope, they're not redeemed. They're, they don't come back. That, they don't get a second chance. I'm just being candid like, about everything. Liars, cheaters, oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, philanderers, bad people, gossipers, they can all be redeemed and right. changed. That cat, those two categories for me have always been, nope, they, they're not redemptive. No way, no how ever would I trust them again. Well, I think, I think there's a, there's a category of predators who can never be reformed. I think there, there definitely is, you know, a, a group and no matter what you do or how you punish or anything else, they're going to figure out a way to pray. They're, they're hardwired to do it. And that's probably, at least in my experience of 30 of these guys, you're never going to change them. And they're going to be, and we've seen them. We've seen them get out. We've seen them reoffend. We've seen guys who successfully go on to have productive lives. And, you know, I think there, there are categories that with monitoring and, and probation and some sort of treatment, I think they'll, they'll be fine. But we've also had guys in prominent positions who, you know, been the therapist and had their parole officer visit, and they're not supposed to have a, a device that has access to the internet, and the phone rings while they're in with the therapist and the probation officer, and they, oh. they're caught red-handed with the phone. I mean, you know, it's like, come on, Jesus, oh could you God. at least try? You know, but they, they can't be reformed in some cases. Thank you for today. Thank I, uh, you. No, what a treat, Ed, and thanks for having me on, and I appreciate the thoughtful conversation, and good luck to you and all your endeavors, and uh, let's do it again. I, I think you're wonderful. And I, guys, I, I think predators I've caught is something I cannot wait to hear. I mean, I, I, Thank you for that. I'm riveted. I'm accused of being addicted to your program <laughs> and addicted to you in terms of the work that you've done. And it's really true. I, if I've missed one, I've missed one because I think I've seen all the other ones. Well, we have more, we have more coming. So, uh, and we'll have a, I think we'll have a little announcement on that next, uh, next month or so. So I'll keep you posted. Yeah, follow Chris on Instagram, you guys. Today was a little bit of a different take because I want you, your family protected. I want you thinking about people that are grooming you for all kinds of different things. And I think grooming is that word, that word of someone sort of working on you towards some ill-gotten means, some ill-gotten intent in your life. And we have literally the world's expert on the show today, too. Plus, you're just fascinating. I know everybody wanted to hear from you today. So thank you, Chris Hansen. Thank you, Ed. I, I truly appreciate it. It was, it was great to be here. I enjoyed it. All right, guys. Hey, share today's show. Make sure you subscribe to YouTube. If you're listening to the audio, if you listen to audio, go over there and get on YouTube because there's different content there as well. God bless you all. Max out. This is the Ed Milet Show. We are the